it is a blessing just to be with God's people. So to be blessed, to be poor in spirit, certainly is an addition to that. I mean, again, we thank thank you guys for allowing us to come and be with you once more. And again, I feel like I'm part of the family, Rick. I tell you, man, it's uh, it's pretty good. And so, um, Rick, Rick will be at Avondale too. So I can't remember when because the dates are running together. But uh, but but we look forward to you being there with us, brother. Can't wait for the uh, wait for the lesson that you bring there. If you have your copy of God's Word, if we'll call your attention to Matthew chapter five. We'll begin the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to consider as you turn there. Consider, you don't have to turn here, but consider Luke 10. Now in Luke 10, we find the occasion of Jesus entering the house of Mary and Martha. And Jesus observes that Martha is careful and busy about many things. And all the while that Martha is careful and busy about many things, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing him teach. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, dot, dot, dot. He said what we come to know now as the Sermon on the Mount. As Brother Rick pointed out, one the actually not one of, it is the most prolific sermon that has ever been preached in the history of mankind. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And when you look at this Sermon on the Mount and you understand that the multitudes, he saw the multitudes and he saw them lingering on him. And so he goes up into a mountain, a high hill, and where he could sit over so he could see everyone. And his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he said, can you imagine being like Mary and sitting at the feet of our Lord? Can you imagine being present during the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine literally hearing the voice of Jesus as he spoke? I can imagine the facial expressions that he made as he spoke. I can imagine the compassion with which he spoke. I can hear the inflection of his voice go up and down as he makes certain points as he preaches this sermon. To sit at the feet of Jesus would certainly be a blessed occasion. And he begins this sermon... Dealing with the characteristics and the benefits of those who would be in the kingdom. There are blessings. There are benefits. There are blessed things attached to those who are in the kingdom. And as Jesus begins this sermon, he begins them with what we know as the, the blessed attitudes or the beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus addresses the character of those who would be in the kingdom. He addresses the benefits of those who have the character to be in the kingdom. And as members of the body of Christ, as members of the kingdom, as members of the church of Christ, there is certainly a character that we must possess in order for Jesus to pronounce blessed upon us. Looking at simply verse 3. I'm going to break down verse 3 in three points. The first thing I want you to consider from verse 3 is the description. I want you to notice the description. The description is blessed. Notice what Jesus said in verse 3. He begins by saying blessed, the very first word in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed. That's the description of the character of those who are in the kingdom. They have a blessed character. Now, if you look at your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will find the word blessed or blessed some 302 times. 
And in the Old Testament, the most common translation that you have for the word blessed from the Hebrew is esher. And that word simply means happy or blessed. That's all it means. And that makes sense to us when we look at Psalm 1 and 1. The psalmist started the Psalms with this word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And so we see the psalmist, a book of devotion, begins that book with the very word blessed, the same word that begins the Beatitudes, the same word that begins the Sermon on the Mount. In the New Testament, however, there are several words that translate blessed, but we're really only interested in the one that Jesus used here. The term is makarios, and it means extremely blessed, fortunate. So Jesus said the character of those who would be in the kingdom is one of being extremely blessed. It's one of being very fortunate. And so Jesus began this sermon, the most prolific, the most profound, the greatest sermon ever preached. Peter's, Acts 2 is second. But the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of mankind, Jesus begins it with the word blessed, dealing with the characteristics. He's dealing with the character of those who would be in the kingdom. It is blessed to be in the kingdom. It is blessed to be a member of God's family. It is blessed to be a member of the church of Christ, the only one heaven has a record of. It is blessed to be in the kingdom. And so Jesus says the character of those who are in the kingdom is blessed, blessed. Now, the second point I want to make, and we'll stay at these next two points a bit longer. But I want you to notice the disposition. Now, we've talked about blessed very, very briefly, but I want you to notice the disposition. The disposition is poor in spirit. That's the disposition. So Jesus said, blessed, the character of the disposition, which is poor in spirit. He describes the disposition. He defines the disposition. He says that they're blessed who are poor in spirit. And so that's the disposition. You look at the term poor. It's the term patakas in the Greek. And what it really translates is poor as in a pauper, as in beggar or beggarly. But certainly Jesus is not saying that here. He's not making reference to someone's financial status. He's not making reference to their material means. That's not what Jesus is making reference to because the term spirit qualifies it. So he says, blessed are the poor how in spirit. So the context of Matthew 5, 3 is this. The poor is a reference to selflessness. The disposition is one of selflessness. But then we look at pneuma, spirit. That word pneuma translates several different words. It's can translate wind, it can translate breathe or breath, it can translate Holy Spirit, it can translate human spirit. And here, really, Jesus is making reference to disposition. It can translate attitude or disposition. So Jesus, the character, the description, is blessed. But the disposition is one who has a selfless attitude. Blessed is he that has a selfless attitude. Blessed is he that has a selfless disposition. 
No, those who are poor in spirit, those who have a selfless disposition, they conform to the image of Christ. They don't think about themselves. They conform to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can turn there with me if you like to. But they deny themselves and they conform to the image of Christ. You know, Jesus will say in Mark 8, 34 and following, if anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross. I let him deny himself, that is, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Well, isn't that the same thing that Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12? Is that not essentially the same thing Paul was saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, deny yourself, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul said that we deny ourselves by presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, and we don't conform to the world because the contrast is to conform to Christ. So we deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily, and we follow him. Well, that's the same thing Jesus said. We understand by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul spoke the mind of Christ. He and the rest of the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and following. And so Jesus says that blessed is he that has a selfless disposition, a selfless attitude, an attitude that would deny self, the stuff that Garner wants to do, the stuff that Garner wants to do, the way that Garner wants to react. The way that Garner wants to act in certain situations, you deny that and you conform to Christ. Well, that's those who are poor in spirit. They have a selfless attitude. They have a selfless disposition. They don't think of themselves. They don't, they don't seek to satisfy the lusts of the flesh, but rather they would give that up and crucify the old man and mortify the deeds of the body so that they can live for Christ. So Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But not only do the poor in spirit deny themselves, they also, they also push or, or, or they put others first, that is. They put other people first. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, they put other people first. You look at, you look at what Jesus says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, turn there with me. Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in all lowliness of mind, let each esteem other, how? Better than himself. Better than themselves. So we esteem others better than ourselves. We put others first. You know, somebody made an acronym out of the word joy. Jesus, others, then you. The poor in spirit put others first. Paul was saying in verse 4, look not every man, look not every man on the things of his own, on his own things, but every man on the things of others. We don't look on the things of, of ours, our own things, we look on the things of others. We put others first, we put ourselves last. We put others before us, but obviously we put Jesus first. And so the poor in spirit have a disposition that's one that is self-sacrificing. They put the needs of others above their own needs. And that's what Christians do. 
That's what Christians do. We put ourselves last. We are, we get the short end of the stick all the time. We have to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's just the way it is. We need to get used to it. Jesus wouldn't ask us to do anything he hadn't already done. That is amazing that God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Who can give more than God? Who can sacrifice more than God? He gave heaven's very best. What does God owe us? What does God owe us? Nothing. God owes us nothing. He gave heaven's very best. We talk about self-sacrificing. So Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hadn't already done first. That is so beautiful that we serve a God that is a show you God, not a just tell you God. And he could do that. His nature is such that he could have just sat in heaven and said, obey me if you don't hear the consequences. He could have very well done that. But because of immense love, he said, I am going to demonstrate my love toward you. And that while you were yet still sinners, I sent my son to die for you. He showed us his love. He didn't just tell it to us. And so the poor in spirit, they put others first. The poor in spirit doesn't seek vengeance. Now, those who are not poor in spirit, they're not turning the other cheek. Somebody asked me, Brother Garner, does that, is that, is that, does that really mean I need to turn the other cheek? I said, well, how many do you have? Hey, Jesus couldn't have been literal there, could he? Just look at his life. Did he turn the other cheek? Yes. The poor in spirit don't seek vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and following, Paul said, recommends Recompense to no man evil for evil, but provide all things honest in the sight of every man. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Those who are poor in spirit don't seek vengeance. They're defrauded. They get the short end of the stick. They're the ones that's all, that are always apologizing. They're the ones that are always saying sorry. They're always the ones that has given up their seat. They're always the ones that are taking it when other people are saying, if I were you, I would have done this. I wouldn't let them do that to me. What if Jesus thought that way? Because he certainly didn't teach that way. The poor in spirit don't avenge themselves. They turn it over to God. They believe the scriptures where God has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so the poor in spirit, those who have a selfless disposition, they don't avenge themselves, but they certainly don't brag or boast. They don't brag or boast. That is not the life of a Christian. A Christian is not 
me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. It reminds you of Nebuchadnezzar. It reminds you of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, God, God told Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel. He told Nebuchadnezzar, I, I gave you this kingdom. I, I did this for you. Nebuchadnezzar looked out all over Babylon and said, look at what I have done. And we know the result. We know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. God brought him literally down. God literally brought Nebuchadnezzar down on all fours like a wild beast out in the field with the beast. Nails have grown like talons, wild hair. Until he recognized the God of heaven. What about in Luke chapter 12? What about Luke 12? What about the man who, who, who had all of this stuff and didn't have enough room in his storehouses and he looked all around and said, I don't have enough room in my storehouses. I guess I'll build some bigger ones. And when he built some bigger ones, he sat back and looked and he said, my, my, my. The Bible says he said to his soul, you know how good things have to be for you to start talking to yourself? You know how well things have to be when you have to sit back and say, my goodness, my soul, look at what I have done. Look at what we have done. He said, my soul, he spoke to his soul, and he said, look at what we have done. He, he was going to eat and drink and be merry. And what does verse 20 say? God said unto him, thou fool. Thou fool. The poor in spirit, those that are, are, are blessed, those who have a selfless disposition, they don't brag and boast in themselves, you know, in 2 Corinthians, one of the major themes, not the overarching theme of 2 Corinthians, but it is a major theme in 2 Corinthians, is Paul defending his apostleship in 2 Corinthians. Now, when you understand what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians, and when you get to chapter 12, and Paul begins about, about how this man that he knew in verse 5, Paul is talking about himself, he's employing a, a Jewish rabbi custom of speaking in third person as to avoid... Uh, bragging, as to avoid arrogance. That's, that's what he does. You know, John did the same thing. The apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved, John did the same thing. And so when verse 5, Paul tells us who the man is, it's him. But about 14 years earlier, above 14 years, Paul said, he was allowed to enter the third heaven paradise. Y'all rem- know you guys remember. I know you know this passage. But Paul said, I was allowed to enter in third heaven paradise, right? And I was able to receive revelations and visions that is unlawful for any man to utter. Let me ask you a question. Why is this instant that Paul is referencing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, why is this that happened above 14 years ago? Why are we just now hearing about it? Why are we just now hearing about it? It happened above 14 years ago. Peter doesn't talk about it. James doesn't talk about it. Jude doesn't talk about it. The Hebrews writer doesn't make reference to it. Why, why, do, why are we just now hearing about it? Because Paul understood Christians don't brag and boast in themselves. Now, Paul could have bragged and boasted in those things that he saw. He could, it could have puffed his chest up to know what he had just experienced. But Paul said he would rather glory in his infirmities, and God gave him his infirmities, the messenger of Satan. God gave him those infirmities to buffet him, to keep him humble. My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Not that God has been any less strong, but that when we are weak, we depend on God the more. 
And so we seek him the more. We know how it goes. When things are well, when the bank account is good and the marriage is good and the spouse is good and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and the kids are making A's and B's and the car is running, everything's good. What about God? Our prayer life dips. Our study life dips. Our worship life dips. But the first thing we go through something, the first place we run is to God. My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, my strength is perfected. Now, Paul said, above 14 years ago, this happened. Why are we just now hearing about this event, Paul? Because I will not boast in it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. What did Paul say? God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Those who are poor in spirit, they don't brag, they don't boast, they don't bring attention to themselves, they don't say, look at me, look at me, look at me. They don't donate money so they can get their name on the building. They don't have to be in the newspaper. They don't have to be in front of a TV camera. They do their alms because they love God. Not to receive recognition. Not to receive fame and prestige. But those who are poor in spirit also are not conceited. Romans chapter 12, right after verse 2, Paul goes into verse 3, and he says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. God has dealt with us, every man according to the measure of faith. And so no man has the right to boast and brag or be conceited. Poor spirit don't do that. The poor spirit don't do that, and that's why they're blessed. That's why Jesus pronounces the description of blessed upon that disposition of being poor in spirit. But finally, I want you to notice the result. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed, the description are the poor in spirit, the disposition, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the destination. The kingdom. We love the kingdom. The kingdom, the term kingdom can denote a, a couple different things. But I will have you know this, I'll argue this, that while the term kingdom can make reference to a couple of different destinations. You can't be in one destination of the kingdom and not be in the other destination of the kingdom. You can't do it. Matthew chapter 16. Turn there with me. Verse 18 through 19. Jesus saying to Peter, for I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock that is the confession that is the confession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Jesus goes on to say, for I say also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the building of it. So what Jesus is saying is that not even death itself, not even death itself 
Not even the gates of Hades, not even the realm of departed spirits, unseen souls, not even that realm would keep him from building his church. Not even death could do it. And so Jesus said upon this rock, I will, imperative, build my church and the gates of hell shall not stop it. The gates of hell will not prevent me from building my church. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus has given this whole speech and is talking to his disciples on Caesarea Philippi, and he's giving them this speech about who do they say that he is, and he goes into this field and he promises Peter that he is going to build on the confession of his deity that he is going to build his church, why in the world would he give them the keys to something else? My friends, the church of Christ is the kingdom, and the kingdom is the church of Christ. The kingdom is not some futuristic thing according to premillennialism that Jesus is going to come back and literally dwell on earth and literal Jerusalem and reign for a literal thousand years and create this kingdom. What did Paul say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14? Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul said we, the Colossians, who he he was speaking to, and all others who have obeyed the gospel, are translated from darkness into the kingdom. My, My friends, there's only two places you can be. There is only two. There's always only been two. Straight way, broad way, narrow way, wide way, for me, against me. There's always only ever been two ways. There's only always two places you can be. One is going to be in darkness or the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. um, Let me ask you a question. Those who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and are living a righteous life, are they in darkness? Then they have to be in the kingdom. They have to be in the kingdom. In Zechariah 6.13, and I'm off a little bit, uh, you know, stuff is coming to my mind, Rick. Zechariah 6.13, you do understand that in Zechariah 6.13, a messianic prophecy. Zechariah prophesies that the Messiah has to simultaneously be a king and a priest at the same time. He has to be them both at the same time. Well, we know that Jesus is a priest, Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was on all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So if he's a high priest right now, then he's a king right now. And as much as I would love to be a king, I don't have a kingdom, the domain of a king. And so for Jesus to be a king right now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 through 15, In order for Jesus to be a king right now, he has to be a priest right now. Well, he's a priest right now. And so since he's a priest right now, then he must be a king right now. And if he's a king right now, he has a kingdom right now. What do keys do? They unlock. When did Peter unlock the kingdom? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 10. Peter unlocked the keys of the kingdom to the Jews, Acts chapter 2. He unlocked the keys of the kingdom to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. 
the kingdom. It's the church, the church of Christ, the blood-bought institution, the only church that heaven has a record of, my friends, denominational bodies, fabricated bodies, man-made institutions are not recognized by heaven. Those who are blessed, the description, that are poor in spirit, the disposition, are in the kingdom, my friends. The church only has the saved, and only the saved are in the church. It's the kingdom. There are blessings in the kingdom, because to be in the kingdom is to be in Christ, because to be in the kingdom is to be in the body, and the body is the church, Ephesians 4 and 4, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So what are some of the blessings that are in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All spiritual blessings are prepositional. What do you mean by that, Garner? I mean they have a location. That means that, you know, when you were in school, and I'm terrible, I don't know no English. That's why I teach math. I teach algebra one. I'm a numbers guy. I don't know no English. Remember when you were in school and they had dangling participles and hanging participles and running participles and adverbs and adjectives, and then they had these things called prepositions, right? They were like in and out and something else. I don't know. Up, I don't know. Up, down. I don't even know if they're prepositions. I'm just making up stuff now. <laughs> but I do know this. I do know that in is a preposition. That's the one I learned. And to be in Christ is a locale. And so in order to be in Christ, that's where you have to get your spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. They are in his body. His body is the church. Outside of the church, there are no spiritual blessings, my friends. The spiritual blessings are in Christ. What about grace? Grace, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul tells Timothy, therefore thou, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Grace, the spiritual blessing of grace. Not getting what we do deserve. That's grace. You know, somebody a lot smarter than me came up with grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Those are in Christ. Grace is in Christ. Grace is a spiritual blessing. No condemnation. Isn't that wonderful to know? There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is a spiritual blessing, my friends, and that lies within Christ. New creatures. We become a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Justified, just if I'd never sinned. Justified, washed clean, no condemnation. Grace, mercy, all in Christ Jesus, and finally salvation. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, therefore, talking to Timothy, final epistle before his death, tells Timothy, Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may be able also to obtain the salvation which is where? In Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory. My friends, the Sermon on the Mount, the most prolific, profound sermon ever preached, can save the souls of men, can strengthen and expand the borders of the the church of Christ. Jesus places a blessing on those character, those who have the character, those characteristics found within the Beatitudes. And I know the speakers coming behind me are going to do an excellent job with the rest of the Beatitudes. But Jesus begins with the poor in spirit. There is something about denying ourselves first before we can ever accept Christ. We cannot hold on to us and to Christ. He's jealous that way. 99.9 won't do. He wants all or nothing. And so he gives us the description, he gives us the disposition, and he gives us the destination. Thank you for listening. Brother Eric, we appreciate you coming out and being with us. Um, Sister Garner, you have done a wonderful job with that boy. Come here all sharped up looking, doing a great job. One of the greatest preachers I know, and I appreciate him. I appreciate him not only for my great love for him and his family and our friendship, but for the brotherhood. We need more young men and great preachers like Brother Eric Garner. Thank you so much. Uh, I have to talk to you later about, uh, you know, when I gave you a topic, I didn't mean for you to make one pointed at me, but you did, so we'll have to talk about that later. Next week, Brother Wesley Simons will be here from the Stony Creek Congregation in Elizabethan, Tennessee. He's been a longtime friend of the congregation here, obviously preached here for eight years. Where We are thankful for our relationship with him in the School of Preaching, and his topic will be, I am blessed because I mourn. Anytime we come together before we leave, we want to be able to extend the Lord's invitation. Brother Eric did a wonderful job about talking and describing the uh, uh, the great benefits of being in the kingdom, the church of Christ. He made the point that all spiritual blessings are in the church, the body. And so we always want to extend an invitation to anyone who uh, may need to consider, who has not obeyed the gospel. That through faith in Christ Jesus, John 8, 24, repentance of all past sins, uh, Acts 2, 38, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the way that exactly as the Ethiopian eunuch did it, Acts 8, 37, and commanded by Paul, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and then of course immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, just as the great apostle Paul, of whom Eric spoke, did that, Acts 22, 16. Sometimes in this life when we uh, do that. There comes times when we mess up a little bit. We step outside the light. According to John 1 verse 7, we need to be in the light, having our sins continually cleansed as we live for Christ. Thankful for, uh, thankfully for us, God has made provision for that, known as the second law of pardon. And we can repent of sin, make a confession of that sin, either publicly or privately, uh, dependent upon the sin itself, and ask God to forgive uh, the individual. And we're thankful for that. That's His grace being demonstrated to us once again. If there's anyone who uh, needs to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, we're going to sing a an invitation song. You can do that during the song, and then following the song, Brother Fred Johnson will lead us 
in a closing prayer. Again, we're thankful to you for coming out and being with us. We look forward to seeing you again. Brother Joe.